0: Thanks for staying tuned in to Sundays with Cindy to catch another episode of Pink Noise. I am your host, Sherry Hauser. Well, let's dive right in like I love to do. Today's guest is a woman I met at the Denver airport. We shared a two-hour car ride to a week-long authentic leadership program in Colorado Springs. And there, we really got to know more of each other. So I'm here making a ruckus with my friend Rose and I brought Rose on the show today because this woman is an adventure seeker like none other <laughs> she is bold and courageous and she is inviting others to live their most adventurous life and we're going to go into that aren't we Rose oh yeah <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't wait <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it's your passion to work with risk takers and rule breakers, seekers and questers. And how come? Why, Why are you being a beacon for people who love to take risks and show up for life?
1: You know, it's funny, even as you're saying that, I realize when I wrote that and sort of my intention behind saying that and all the different invitations that I have in the work that I do, it's it's almost also like a little nudge for the people that have a little tiny piece of themselves. They might not think of themselves as a rule breaker, but there's some little part that's like, ooh, I kind of want to do that. I don't know if I can, but I kind of want to. So even when I'm calling out the rule breakers, the risk takers, it's like, you don't even have to be there yet. You just have to have that desire for whatever you think that's going to give you. Or if you are there, you know, to recognize that that is, it's a place that very on topic, um, brings aliveness, you know, it's just connected to aliveness and experiencing, life you know for you know better or worse like to the fullest you know i I think that's obviously that phrase doesn't to me it doesn't mean much because it's sort of been said so many times but there's this great joseph campbell um like live recorded series where he's talking about like what is the purpose of myth you know and the guy's like oh to tell us why we're here right and he's like no It's to teach us how to be more in contact with aliveness and life. And I'm like, oh, yes, that. So that, I mean, that's really why, like,
0: that's why it's my passion, you know. And here you are showing up as the banner child for living adventurously. Can you remember a time when that wasn't true for you? What did your journey to this look like? What choices did you have to make? What did you have to overcome? I mean, I
1: can remember times throughout every day that I'm here that it's not true for me. You know, it's still my, you know, what I'm seeking, but there's, you know, an ebb and a flow in and out of it. But in terms of what I think you're asking, which is like, you know, when did I really commit more to that or become more um, connected to that part of my why and like that part of my passion. Um, You know, it's funny, it, there's two different things that I can really think about. Well, there's like three main ones. I remember when I I went to grad school for my master's degree in social welfare, and I realized almost immediately once I got into my work that it was not the work environment for me. It just, I was miserable and it didn't make any sense. just a really broken system. It's not made for people, you know, it's just not, you know, anybody who's been in contact with bureaucracy knows that bureaucracy is not really made for people to exist as people you know and um there was a moment in that job not too many months before we met probably like earlier that year where i already knew i was on my way out i had already started a business but it was like i was struggling in the business and in my job and um feeling really disconnected from people and my own emotions, to be honest, which is actually when I was just like, I know I need to do something. Like, I know I need to do something. And that's when I heard about the first art level one and I went to it and I knew that my intuition had been right because I needed to get back in contact with like people and community. And even though that wasn't like directly what led me to focus on courage and passion um it it really was like a moment for me it was a turning point for me um for whatever reason it helped me come back in contact with parts of myself that had become very um numb and wounded and um really just like a soldier marching forward, like, you got to keep going, you got to keep going, you know, not in contact with that aliveness, more just like, really, really surviving and pushing to survive and just keep going, going, going. And um, I just knew I wasn't made for it. I quit my job later that year. That was another huge turning point for me. Um, And I spent I was very lucky for the first time in my life to have like a good chunk of a couple months off because I had a bunch of vacation pay and all this stuff. And during that time, um, I went backpacking. I, you know, got to spend time at home. I really got to enjoy the summer. And it gave me space to settle into like, what is it that I'm trying to create? You know, what is it that I really care about so much and I'm so passionate about and, and I'm good at, but not just that, like, what is that thing? Like you're describing in that quote, that's going to allow me to want to work on it for the rest of however long, you know, that's going to want, have me showing up and actually bringing genuine excitement, not forced excitement, not like, You know, I'm going to keep showing up on social media and I'm going to make it sound like my life is awesome, but really not having the fire there because I just knew I was going to, it's just, it would
0: suck (laughs) for me and other people. Um, You mean, sorry, just to clarify, you mean it would suck if you, if you wasn't genuine, if what you were doing wasn't what you actually wanted to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you were waiting to tap into something that had enough resonance within your spirit that it was a part of you.
1: It was a part, definitely, yes. And the piece that felt really essential for me was understanding that if I was trying to transmit or change or help or inspire people that if I didn't bring the energy of inspiration and excitement, then it wasn't going to work. Like it would maybe just somewhat, but not to the degree that we transform people when we are actually transforming ourselves at the same time, right? Like when I am actually like giving myself excitement and joy and passion and aliveness, and I'm bringing it to other people through that, I think it has a much bigger chance of having that kind of impact on them than if I'm just saying something I think will be inspiring to other people, right? So, you know, that, it was, it was that, <laughs> yeah. And then earlier this year is when I really realized, holy crap, it's courage. That is the thing I think about every single day. I think about it all the time. It is the value, you know, you talk about business values, right? It's the value that like was so there that I didn't even see that it was there because I don't even think about the fact that I use it all the time. And so that and the adventure piece just came really naturally. It just like fit like a puzzle together when I realized it.
0: Yeah. I liked when you said that there was a piece that the authentic relating training gave you which was a refocus, what I think I heard you say was a refocus on on humanity, on people, and on community. Mm. And that, that was a piece of you stepping away from the job where you didn't feel any threat of aliveness. And something that's come to me in the years of being in that training work is that the more I'm willing to reveal the parts of me that I've denied, mm-hmm. the more of me there is to love. Mm-hmm. And something that showed up for me last month was this girl who has denied being sad mm-hmm. over things that are legitimately sad because I didn't think I could be loved there.
1: Mm-hmm
0: and realizing that that's not true that I was met that there were people there to offer support and I get to I get to change that story and I get to receive the fact that now there's just more of me to love Mm -hmm. and so what if we show up in our mess right we show up in our effort in our attempts in our mistakes We show up in our transgressions, in our, you know, in all the ways in which we are attempting and moving and doing and being. And what if it's okay that it isn't always perfect or right? You know, there was something that I read and I want to find it. There was something I read on a quote. That you had put, Hmm. and it had to do with this idea, um, perfectionism is fear in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I'm feeling that that's kind of where I'm going, right, with this idea. What comes to you? Like, what was it about that quote that had you connect with it? And
1: want to share it. You know, I think about that. I'm trying to. I'm seeing if I can like locate myself back in that moment. I don't know if I'm going to be able to because usually when I'm um, writing those, I really try to write something that feels alive for me at the time. And then sometimes I can connect back to what was going on, and sometimes I can't. But when I when I think about it, it's for me this it's sort of like how the very, very magnificent yet. Oh, so troublesome human mind that, that beautiful mind that we all have in different ways um, is so good at justifying things, you know, and just painting it up as something else and um, convincing us like, no, no, no. Like I'm smarter than you. you. You don't understand that this is like a big kid concept, you know, that, um, you just better listen. You know what I mean? Like you just need to follow the leader here. And there's, it's, we're just really good at tricking ourselves. We just are, you know, and it's good in a way, cause it helps us survive in a lot of situations where it might be too hard to make peace with the truth or for whatever reason. Right all the cognitive biases that there are, are perfect examples. But, you know, sometimes it's, it's just time to pull back the wool. You know what I mean? And, um, just call a spade a spade. If it's not serving you, if it's not empowering you, sometimes looking underneath and just being like, oh, well, why isn't this empowering me? I can give it all kinds of fancy words, but what's the most base thing underneath it? It's just fear, you know, and we can call it whatever we want to survive or justify, but it gets in the way of so much. And perfectionism is a real struggle of mine. <laughs> so partly I shared it because, you know, it's real. Like that is, it is, it kicks my ass and it holds me back in a lot of ways that I've recognized. So, you know, in many of my posts are like that, even if I'm saying it as a offering or a teaching or whatever, an inspiration, an invitation, um, it's coming from somewhere personal, whether it's, you know, a client conversation I had, whether it's a conversation I've had with friends or my partner Or just something that I'm going through and I'm trying to share, there's always that element, you know. Um, But what you said about, you know, the grief, I think particularly I shared that because social media is a very complex place to show up vulnerably. And I think. It's so normalized in particularly, I would say, entrepreneurial and business or coaching culture to say, I'm going to get vulnerable with you guys right now and know that there's actually nothing really sketchy on the line. Like it's just a pitch for closeness that is not vulnerable at all because you're sharing a story that you've already been through and you feel super resolved about it, but you're sort of pretending to be vulnerable while really positioning yourself as an expert. And I think that's why I like calling out the perfectionism thing because it's it's sort of like again, let's pull the curtain back here. You know, I'm not saying it's easy to show up in your mess on social media as a business owner because it's not. People don't always respond well. It's not normalized enough and the medium is just sort of, you know, it's complex to figure out how to navigate it.
0: Yeah. I noticed a desire to unpack the piece that you sort of called out about one area in which the coaching industry shows up is to make a, make a play by saying, hey, I'm human too. Yeah. With offering some piece of their past. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I'm like, I don't really want to go there. But it was such it was such a juicy piece, like I know there's a lot to it, and yet I don't want to waste our valuable time on people's bullshit. (laughs) Um I think what drew me to the quote to reveal a little bit about my, my own experience Mm -hmm. is I've been, I've been fascinated by colloquialisms Mm -hmm. and sayings that have been passed down from generation to generation and without really knowing the impact that they have on a human being Mm -hmm. and they show up as a way to parent guide or control the outcome. Of a situation, and I can give you a few examples. So, if you can't do something right, don't do anything at all. Like, what do you think that creates in a person? Like, a fear of failure. Like, don't try something unless you know that you can succeed at it. And I think we hear these things, or maybe some people grow up hearing things. I mean, we all grow up hearing things. I mean, that's, but are we aware of the impact that they've had on us and how they actually can create some limiting beliefs? And so when I see perfectionism as fear in sheep's clothing, I think not willing to do something and make a mistake. Like the fear of the mistake creates, I'm only going to do things I'm really good at. So then you're going to perfect your craft. You're going to become an expert, but maybe in a more narrower mark, you know, capacity. When really, if you, and so here you are showing up as this, courage muse I mean Mm -hmm. you are for anyone you know I I really I'm excited to introduce you to people you know Mm -hmm. and and you are a courage coach Mm -hmm. and you are an adventure muse like that's how I see you that's how I experience you (laughs) and so to have you admit that you've identified that perfectionism has been a bit of a block for you oh god And to me, it's the exact opposite of courage (laughs) and adventure.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. But that's exactly why. I mean, it's sort of why. And maybe this is just a part of who I essentially am, is like I tend to lean into the things that are hard, but you know, when you were just talking about perfectionism and how, like, how it plays out, I think it, you know, it can play out, it can look so different from the outside. Like, you know, depending on the person and what feels safe, what they've been taught is safe, what they've been taught, they're good at what has been handed down to them as normalized, you know, it could mean literally anything. So even I'm imagining, like, there's things that people knowing you and seeing you and seeing how you act, would they think that that was something handed down through your family or that your mom, you know what I mean? Like that was something that was passed to you, whether or not you identify with that now or how much you took it on. Like, I think that there's, it's that so much of it is internal experience. Like people can look courageous on the outside, but maybe they're actually just numbing themselves. They're just risk-taking for the sake of numbing, you know? So, so much of it is dependent on the internal experience. And um, yeah, maybe part of the reason I love courage is because perfectionism is an ongoing battle for me. Mm. Because I know it's one of the things I'm going to have to keep turning. That's one of my, like, the way I visualize it is literally a turning towards courage over and over and over again. And what that shows up as oftentimes is in opposition to my perfectionism, but it's, you know, it's not a black and white thing. You know what I mean? Because you can also bring excellence in there. And I think some people, they blend those two things. And for me, they're not the same, but I can see how, you know, it's, it's just not, there's a lot of gray or, whatever other mixed color you want to pick area. It doesn't all have to be gray, pink, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's a lot of pink area.
0: Yeah. Pink <laughs> is a blended color. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love what I'm, what I'm getting about you now is this idea that courage is your medicine. Courage oh, is yes. your medicine to battle perfectionism. And it makes so much sense while your why your business live by design is I see this particular quote attached to your business name so much, and it's there is no path until you walk it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I almost say that's a mantra that I that I that I see mm-hmm. in your work. There is no path until you walk it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I see you nodding your head. You're relating to this idea that that courage is is the antidote. It's the antidote for perfectionism. It's the thing that moves you into new adventures.
1: Yeah. I think the newness, that word particularly, that's the piece. I frequently ask myself when I'm feeling really like stuck in a rut, whatever it is. I don't, I don't feel that way, I would say, as much as I used to over the years because I've just done so much work to get out of ruts as like a habit like the habit of being in a rut you know as its own rut but um i frequently will ask myself like what could i do right now that i either i'm surprising myself by doing like something that i wouldn't think that i would do or that i just have never done before it's like the you know when you're in that conversation whatever the conversation is i'm i'm remembering one with like a boss of mine where you know, it was a really tough situation. There was a lot of politics involved, but I didn't want to dishonor myself by just like walking away from the moment and not saying something honest-ish enough, enough to feel that I was honoring myself, understanding the complexities of like all of our lives and relationships and jobs and the need for money and all these real factors, right? But, and I just remember mentally, I really do visualize turning around and like turning towards things on a regular basis. And it was like, what can I say? I don't even remember what I said. I just remember that feeling of it being something different of it being something new and something honest and something that didn't feel like a dodge, but didn't feel like a fight either. You know? Um, but that you know, that mantra, I think for me is just, There's so many layers to it, but it's really about that. It's like, you know, until you set your foot down in front of yourself, no matter how many people you go to for guidance, no matter how many things you watch, no matter how much you reflect on your own life, every new next step is going to be different and it won't be like anybody else's. It is helpful to get guidance, but it's still only going to take you so far, you know. Because each of our paths are so unique. So when we're sitting there, like, oh my God, I can't find an example of the life that I want to live, that's how it goes. You know, like it, if you're, we can't wait for that, I think is the thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We can't wait to find the perfect example that's going to take our hand and walk us forward down our own path because. Maybe there will be something similar to it. Maybe we'll be lucky enough to have that or find that. And maybe we won't. Or maybe we'll get down the path and then we'll find somebody that we see is sort of similar and be like, ah, where were you five years ago? I didn't even know where to look. You know what I mean? Um, but I talk to so many people who are just like, Well, what do I do about this? And what do I do about that? And part of the reason I love the work that I do is really listening. To what people's desires are, the implicit desires are like underneath, and being like, you know, so much of the time people just need permission to make a decision that's good for themselves and that excites them, and that fits for them. And so rarely I see people doing that.
0: I like the saying, uh, "Simply noticing begins change." Mm-hmm. It's almost like in breeding the awareness. It. What, what I've found is breeding awareness and notice what I'm noticing, like then I can see that everything I'm doing is a choice, even when mm-hmm. I think there isn't one. Like recognizing one of my other spiritual guides, Heather Fantine um, says, I don't remember her quote, but the, the texture of it is to realize that even in doing nothing, you are choosing to stay the same. Like it is a choice, and as soon as you recognize that there is a choice, even if it's passive, then you realize that you can you are empowered to make a different choice. So if you don't like where you are or what what's those saying, you'll you'll end up where you're going, like unless you change course.
1: I don't remember the exact saying, but I get the gist of it. yeah, so
0: um, I think <laughs> I just mushed a whole bunch of stuff into. <laughs> just jumbled some words together to sound smart. <laughs> but the general idea is awareness, 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 right? Like that's mm-hmm. always where it begins. So mm-hmm. if you're not having the experience that you want to be having in life, right? If it doesn't feel this fricking good, mm-hmm. there's something you can do about it. Yeah. And being aware of the choices that you're making allows you to be aware of that there's other choices possible.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think that's the, that's a pathway to change. Oh, absolutely. And so what would you tell someone in front of you as a courage coach? Who's, who can, who can say that where I am is not where I want to be. What would you tell that person what What's step one or two or three on that journey?
1: I think step one is really just noticing where you are. And, you know, I think you can kind of interchange the steps a little bit, to be honest. But an essential piece is noticing where you are and paying attention to what it feels like and what stories you have about it and why it's not working and all of those things. It's just like, sometimes we, I, my experience has been myself and other people is like, we know we're not happy, but we don't really have a clear understanding or why. So sometimes we'll go seeking really, really far down like one path, thinking like, I know what I need to do. I need to become a better listener. I need to get really good at listening to other people. And then if that's not actually what we need or desire, what we're going to be doing is fighting ourselves and whoever's helping us the whole way, like the whole way. (laughs) It's such a trap. I know I've done this. I can't think of an example, but I'm 100% positive. You know, this is why people say mindset is so important. So really recognizing where you are, what is it about it that you, you know, it's not working for you and getting really honest and noticing, like if you can't get honest, what's that about? Maybe there's some serious shame or, you know, wounds or, um, you know, because it's one thing to recognize that your desires are going to be hard to get to because of the context that you've kind of set yourself up in and, Culture and society has set you up in, like, I'm not gonna pretend that we all have total power over ourselves. That was a conversation for another day, which is sort of philosophical, but like, you know, how did we get there? And then really being able to connect to your desires, is it so dangerous just to really connect to your desires, even if you don't feel like you can like do them right away? Then there's some work to do there, you know? Because, yeah, it's iterative. Like, maybe it's not the exact desire, and you move forward and then it shifts a little bit. Like, that's how my experience has been. Like, you have to take action before you feel it's super solid. But, you know, if it's like the opposite thing and you go really far, like, maybe that's how you have to get to the lesson. But my wish would be for people that maybe we can pause and slow down a little bit more before running in one direction really far and then realizing, holy crap, I was running away from the wrong thing, you know? Um, Yeah. I think that's a pretty good place to start. And then also the desires, you know, if you can figure what they are, just lean way into that because that is a muscle in my experience that like, it's got to be stretched a lot for most of the people that I've met, you know? whether they're big like fantastical desires or whether they're just desires that seem like off limits that could be totally tiny in like the scheme of things right um i love seeing people write out a list of desires that feel like ooh do i like dare to have this desire and then read them to me and i'm like oh my god we need to practice this because <laughs> you're going to flex that out so much bigger I was just in a session the other day and I loved what we were talking about because she was, we were talking about like, can I have courage in moments that are not about survival, in moments that are not about, you know, just like you have to have courage for your family, for basic needs, like when the rubber meets the road, go time, but like courage for desires, courage for exploration, for fun, for, you know, enjoyment of life. And we were talking about that stretching the desires, like making them bigger and bigger. And we talked about it like a tree. And, you know, um, this person is taking a break from relationships. And so I was like, okay, we are going to nurture that tree. I want you to nurture that tree so that it just keeps growing bigger and bigger. And maybe when you're ready to get back into a relationship, yes, there'll be some compromise, right? There'll be some negotiation, but nobody is going to cut down your goddamn tree. Like that won't be a negotiable anymore, you know? And I think a lot of people struggle with that, you know, in relationships, like, you know, how do you, how do you nurture and protect your desires and the things that you really have courage for in life when, you know, you get into a relationship and you just sort of lose sight of them. It's like, well, we need to protect that little tree. Like we can, you know, talk about, okay, maybe we'll cut this little edge off or I'm going to water over here for a while, or we're going to sit under it in the summer. And then this one in the winter, but you're never going to cut down my goddamn tree. You know what I mean? So yeah, the desires, have to be nurtured
0: I would say that's the other piece and what's interesting is just last night I um, led an authentic Seattle uh, games night Mm -hmm. and I borrowed from a mentor in Denmark her name's Adriana she ran a workshop around getting in touch with your senses Mm -hmm. what do you really appreciate and love about your senses What is it, what turns you on with a smell? And what is it that you love to taste? What do you love the sight of? What do you appreciate hearing? And what's something that you love to touch Mm -hmm. or be touched by? And in this intimate setting of as intimate as a Zoom room can be, Mm -hmm. um, we shared some of our favorite senses with each other. And after that kind of yumminess of experiencing other people's pleasures and joys, and then it it brings more alive in you and what you love, I then put everyone into breakout rooms with just one partner. And we had five minutes each to state our desires. Mm, mm-hmm. And it was an ongoing thing like, I desire this and that, and then I desire that and this and if you pause for too long, the partner who listens was prompted to say, what do you desire, Rose? Mm, mm -hmm. And then you get in touch with another one or a new one. Mm -hmm. And I thought about where I went in -hmm. those five minutes and how vast it felt. I
1: mean, that's where I immediately go, Sherry, honestly, is like how much possibility there is for change in such a short period of time, like so short. And that to me is amazing. Also, I'm just like, how exciting that not that long ago, and maybe even more recently than that, you were in that place. And then feeling like now you have sort of expanded and tapped into something different, a different level of your desires or a different way to experience them or a different definition or something, you know, totally, you know, connected to a lot more of who you are, all of your senses, all of these things in the world that you love experientially. I just think forward automatically and be like, oh my God, where are you gonna be two months from now? Mm. Like, how Mm. exciting is that? (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah so amazing truly you'd written something about giving people a permission slip Mm -hmm. to have to have a desire that is beyond surviving like what is it like to want more and you were like I want to give you a permission slip to desire courageously yeah yeah what are what are some things that you desire would you be willing to share yeah god i mean
1: i want to slow down for a moment though because i i noticed that it's like i could tap into the things that i think about every day and i think about them all the time and i desire them so much but i also just want to be sort of I want to tune into what I where I'm really at right now so well
0: yeah. maybe we could start with the senses
1: Ooh, I have a desire for some cool air to be blowing across me right now which is a feeling that I love so much and actually reflect on frequently where I live because we have we live on I live on a big island you know and um We live in a really breezy part of the island and there's something about like since I've moved here, the feeling of the wind, which is usually not cold, you know, it's just cool or warm. And so whenever the wind blows, I just, I love it. I love the feeling of standing outside and just sort of feeling the wind on me and, you know, running through the back of my shirt or whatever. It's just... Delightful! And it's actually one of the ways I practice really, really simply receiving, and um, I love it. I think about it all the time, and I would love that right about now. I have very strong desire for that because it's warm in here. Um,
0: the way you know. feel, the way you feel about air as as a sense of touch
1: mm-hmm.
0: is how I feel about water. Mm. Oh, yes. Water on my skin, being in, yes. water, being submerged in water. Yeah. yeah. So I'm getting this picture of you as like an air baby, the way I see myself as a water baby.
1: Mm. You know, it's funny hearing you say that because um, I am absolutely a water baby, but uh, I've, you know, I've really been having that part of me nurtured here so well. Because the water here is so much warmer than California. And I grew up going in that ice cold water for hours at a time. But now here, like, you know, it might feel a little cool when I get in, but I, uh, you know, I can float in it for hours. I'm not going to get hypothermia. So I spend, I feel very, I feel good and sated in that part of myself in general in life right now. I am absolutely a water baby I snorkel all the time here I love it
0: it's so I amazing. met a, a Wim Hof instructor at the Denmark training he was from Stockholm and he mm. took a bunch of us out to the Baltic Sea at seven in the morning to teach us Ooh. how to have a proper ice bath and it was such a rush I did it four days in a row yeah and wow it was cold the coldest water yeah. I've ever been in <laughs>
1: yeah I uh one time when we went backpacking when I was a kid we actually backpacked up to about mm, a little over 11,000 feet and one of the lakes was fed directly from a glacier and I remember going swimming in that and it was like a whole different level of cold you know that is like not just the pacific ocean it is way beyond cold (laughs) but i'm a fan of the cold plunge i won't turn it up last summer when i went backpacking um in the high country of southern yosemite it was a late snowmelt that year and so um the lakes were really cold with fresh snowmelt but i swam at every lake i went into and uh, that we that we stopped at and yeah it was it's a rush it's so amazing to get out too. And your skin is just like, you know, alive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What about other senses? Anything showing up for you? Um,
1: Not specific to my senses, but you know, the truth is I just have such a strong desire to travel. Even when I tap into it now, it's, it's still there. It's still alive. I wanted to pause and reflect on it, but I have such a desire to travel and wander and explore and definitely huge, huge desire for a good portion of that to be on foot. Not all the time, but that is always an essential element for me you know, really being able to explore this world using the different amazing modes of transportation that we have as people, you know, walking, um, trains, boats, just everything. And um, that's a, that is, it's something that's been alive for me for so long in my life, but God, I really just didn't, I think I had a story that it was going to be out of reach. Always. And so I like so many other things. And this is partly why I say, like, there is no path until you walk it. I think is because, you know, we spend so much time. And I think people also spend a lot of time convincing us that something is not for us or is out of reach. That actually, if we had spent all that time figuring out how to do it and how to make it a part of our lives, God, we would be so far along in that adventure. So you know? why
0: do we listen to those stories? Why do they There's hold so much power so over reasons.
1: us? Gosh, I mean cuz we're communal creatures. I mean, I think there is an element of it that's just that that need for a community and that that balance between what we talk about in art so much was which is like that Gabor Maté thing, you know, that it's the essential needs of attachment and expression. And if you are in a space where you don't think you're going to have that attachment, you know, when and how can we learn to still express ourselves? And I think the big thing for me as an adult is like, how long does it take us before we realize the world is like a lot bigger than we unconsciously make it when we choose to stay with someone who's rejecting who we are when we choose to reject parts of ourselves, because we think, I know we intellectually might understand that the world is not that small, but like experientially, the choices that we're making, just like you talked about early, right? We're making choices based on the idea that if we leave this person what's going to happen to me? We're not thinking, oh, it's a big world. There's plenty of fish in the sea, right? People say that all the time, but mostly we don't act that way. I think, you know, most of the time, I don't think, I know some people run away from things like the second that they feel constrained, which is like another conversation. And I've had moments like that, but it's so big. There's so many people in the world, you know, I really don't think that We have as many reasons to think that we are not going to find a place to be welcomed because even in the midst of whatever is happening in the world, culturally, politically, all of that, there's so many little communities, you know, that each have their own values and norms and, um, Gosh, I've been a part of so many of them. And even within those communities, even with people, I mean, I've I've witnessed this, even with people that are doing the exact thing that we are denying to ourselves and shaming ourselves for, even when they're right in front of us, if that story is so strong, it doesn't even matter. They may as well not exist, right? If we can't get out of that story, like I will never be loved for who I am. And it's just, it's hard. I think it's so hard when that shame gets built into us at a really young age, which I know it does for a lot of people.
0: I mean, myself included, for sure. Myself included, for mm-hmm. sure. And it was a story I heard repeated at the leadership training in Denmark a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Over and over again. That seems to be at the core. I'm not going to be loved for who I am. So, who do I need to be in order to receive love? Which makes sense. I mean, again, survival, right? Every
1: like story that we have, there's a reason it's there. It didn't just like, Hey, I'm going to help you not survive. So, you know, come on in. Like it, it showed up in some way to protect us. Like even if it wasn't totally
0: functional, you know what I mean? And yet look at all the assumptions that we're making assuming how someone else wants us to be. Oh, yeah. Right? So so even in the letting go of our genuine self-expression in favor of attachment and belonging, we are making all kinds of assumptions about, like, what people actually want from us. And we're not even checking them out. Oh, yeah. Constantly. Constantly. I know. One of the things that occurred to me as you were speaking just now and you there was that thread of aliveness around travel for you Mm -hmm. and an adventure and and what you like about it and what I was seeing is that the more you explore the world it's a gateway it's a gateway to seeing how many different ways of living are possible and Mm -hmm. to look at people who are happy who are living in their joy and living in their bliss in a completely different way than how you live. Mm-hmm. And what I realize when I travel is look at all the different ways of being human. Mm-hmm. Look at all the different ways of doing family, of doing entertainment, of doing eating, of doing eco-culture. Like mm-hmm. look at all of the different ways and it gets me unstuck. Mm-hmm. It gets me unstuck from thinking I don't have choice. There's a, there's a piece, the kind of golden nugget in the book, The Alchemist. I actually bought it on my 50th birthday at an airport in Palm Springs. Perfect. It, it had been suggested, you know, for years and years and years. You know, Jason, who um, one of the co-founders of art, mm-hmm. who you and I mm-hmm. are training with, uh, he, he speaks of the book often as one of his favorites and I finally read it and this golden nugget this idea this universal lie that one day we wake up and we simply decide that what we have is is all there is it's the best it's gonna get and we accept it we accept that what is is all that there can be. I'm not going to try anymore to make my life bigger, better, different, wider, more colorful, less colorful, higher, lower, step right, step left. No, I I did enough and it's good enough. And I'm just going to ride this out till the grave.
1: (laughs) I don't think I have that part in me anymore, Sherry. (laughs) No. I don't think I do. I don't believe it. I don't want it. No, like I can't (laughs) even, I think actually this is like one of the most frustrating things about me as a person, not for myself, although sometimes, and I know it's exhausting for my partners is like, even when I feel stuck, there is such an innate part of me that will never settle. I will never settle. Like I will compromise like a mofo, but I am never going to settle. Like that's just wasteful. It's wasteful.
0: Oh, talk about threat of aliveness. I can hear my, I can feel my whole body vibrating. <laughs> You're like, Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew my partner was my partner for life. I mean, pretty much on our second date, I knew, mm. I knew that I was home. Mm. Um, but this past January, uh, he came to a workshop. I was producing with my friend Eben and it was called be you more. Mm-mm. And in it, I unwrapped a values exercise that my teachers taught me back in 2001, Joel and Michelle Levy. And I recreated that exercise with their permission, having bought a deck of value cards from them. And and what came out of it was watching my partner go through this exercise where there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of choices and ways of connecting to values. Mm. And what he walks away with, as being the foundation cornerstones of what's important to him, and one of them was lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. Another one was nonconformity. Mm-hmm. Adventure, balance. And I'm just like, I mean, huge illumination. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this this is someone I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Mm-hmm. Like, between non-conformity and lifelong learning, if I wasn't already hooked, which I was. (laughs) Because, yeah. Yeah, that had a big impact on me when I found that bit in the book. And and it just, it's like, that's where my rebel spirit shows up. And I'm like, nope, that's not going to be my story. That's not my narrative. I'm not going to choose that.
1: I love that you said that because that's so much of the time like what I think about with people is and I think about for myself too is like okay you know we go back to you're unhappy in your story well what if you were watching a movie and you were the hero in your own story like what would you actually want to see that person do to show you that they can grow beyond who they are and surprise the audience and do daring things and like go for it and have that transformation you know and it's just i i always i think about death so much sherry which sometimes in very irreverent ways and sometimes in, in sometimes it's also really alongside that it's also just very present in a really real way for whatever reason and so many too many to name right now but you know when i think about my life and i think about my work i always think about it like If you get to the end and you're looking back and thinking, wow, I I have so much grief over all of the ways that I, yeah, that I settled, that that I didn't, you know, try, that I didn't risk, that I didn't love, that I didn't, you know, look like an idiot or risk looking like an idiot or go after what I wanted because I didn't even like think it was a possibility or because I talked myself out of it. Even when other people were cheering me on, you know, like that, I don't want to get to the end and be there. I want to get to the end and be like, yeah. And whenever that end may come, right. Cause death, we don't know. It could be tomorrow. I mean, I've had so many, f- there's the summer of I think between my first and second year of grad school, I think I I had like nine people die in my life. And, you know, I'm lucky that I didn't grow up losing a lot of people growing up because some communities lose a lot of people. Like I know people that grew up going to funerals on the weekends. One of my cats is crying to be let in. I know we're almost done. But um, I remember it just made me really be like, even more connected to that, that feeling of like, this shit is short and we don't know. These weren't like all really sick people. You know, one of them was my friend Elliot, probably one of the most alive, lively, loving, buoyant, bouncy, Tigger like versions of a human that I've met, you know? but he passed and strong and just like physically like very vital person. And he just died of a heart attack in his sleep after working on his house. He was like in his early forties. And, um, I just got chills thinking about that because his wife had died really young too. And so when he died, everybody just like thought about, wow, like they, you know, maybe they get to be together again, finally. Cause he never really like found another like love and he didn't want to, you know, but it, it just, there's certain people that when they pass, there's something about it that just really, I think, has shaken me in a way that I've been grateful for that reminder. Like it doesn't matter how sure we are that we're going to live to be 90 years old. Maybe this is our last day. And if we can't make it count, like, I feel sad. I would feel really sad about that, you yeah. know? So I just try to make it count. That's really the bottom of everything that I do, you know, make
0: it count. Yeah.
1: Or whatever counts for you, you know?
0: There was something I remember reading that you had written about, and I noticed myself wanting to go to find it exactly, but it's more important to stay in connection with you because this is so beautiful and. Um, and we need to wrap up our our conversation here. But it's that idea of you don't have to know the outcome to take the first step. Mm-hmm. Like that was the flavor of what you wrote, and it's like if you if you don't want to have the taste of regret, you know, if you even have an opportunity to know that your number's being called, right? Some of us won't know Mm -hmm. it'll just happen but if you have a chance to be to be sitting in that seat and the flavor of regret shows up like yeah you, you you don't have to have it all figured out to take a step you just have to be willing to take a step in a in a in a direction towards something that is is calling that there's some form of inspiration. There's something shiny or remarkable or desirable about something over here. And you have to be willing to walk towards that and to see what becomes of you as you take one step after another. Yeah. And surrounding yourself with people who are also doing that. And that's why I love your group. Mm. I'll put a link in the show notes so people can come visit it if they want to engage in this conversation with you more. Yeah. They're welcome. They're absolutely welcome. I would love that. Great. Um, I have another call here at this particular minute in time. And so I will bid you farewell. And I know that this is just the end of this moment of conversation and that we will have many more in the Mm -hmm. future. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for your time, Rose.
1: Yeah, thank you. It was it's been a delight and I've enjoyed I've I love taking time to connect to what makes me feel alive because that is literally the heart of what I do. So thank you for making this space for that.
0: You're welcome.